Can I just take a moment and say that that song really speaks to me? And I guess in my own life, and I, and I think of my own personal journey, not for a minute you ever forsook me. Not for a minute did you ever leave me alone. I know many of you feel like in the darkest of your trials and your tribulations, in those moments when you feel like nobody's there for you, you've lost everybody you love, I want you to know that God is with you. And I believe that because His Word says, you are not forsaken. Not for a minute were you forsaken. Because He loves you and He cares for you. And I stand up here humbled to think that our God loved us so much that He sent His Son to give us life and, and to, to give it to us abundantly. And maybe for some that might be in this room, maybe when you were in a jail cell, you thought for just that split second, was there any hope for me? What was my life going to be like? But not for a second did God ever forsake you because He loves you. And He cares for you. And you are of value to Him. Because you're a champion. You're a winner. You're not a whiner. You're a victor. You're not a victim. You're a child of the Most High God and He cares and loves for you. So not for a minute were you ever forsaken. Wow. So maybe you walk that good and, and holy life. But not for a minute were you ever forsaken. And I feel like that's a message on itself. It's just, I'll tell you, the words to that song are amazing. And I'm thankful for them. And I'll stop dwelling on them or I'm going to start crying like a little baby. All right, if you have your Bible, if you'll please take your Bible, hold it high here at New Hope. We have a Bible decree. So let's say it together. We're, we're proud and excited that we still have the Word of God. So if you have your iPhone, your iPad, the old hardback, leatherback, ripped up pages, you just hold it high. And let's say this together. This is my Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. I will hide his words in my heart that I might not sin against God. Standing at the grocery store, we always see the tabloids. And the tabloids are always right there, and we get to look at all the liberal comments from everybody around the world, somebody that's getting paid to make up lies and deceive people. So as we're standing in line, we get to look at the National Enquirer, the Globe, and, you know, we're always faced to it as they're on both sides of us. In some places, we've got all the, the tabloid stuff here, and then we've got all the pop and candy here. Both of them are sinful. Sugar is not good for you. I heard that in a mobility class once. How many of you have seen these magazines in the supermarket, or was it just me? Okay, so just some go grocery shopping. Okay, and uh, these are what are known as tabloid magazines. As you can tell from the headlines, they're not reliable news sources. In fact, they're the original fake news outlets. Now, would you expect me to go out buy, to buy these magazines? Of course not. I don't buy that kind of junk. Most, if not all, the material inside their pages are sensationalist stories, which are entirely made up. I can't trust them, and so I don't want to build my thinking around what they will tell me. I don't want them influencing how I think or what I might do. 
In fact, there are many resources that I've got to be careful about. I once read that Abraham Lincoln had warned, don't believe everything you read on the Internet. (laughs) I am so thankful. You know, I just have to say, you guys do listen. Wow. That wasn't mine, and it wasn't original. But as as I was doing the message, I thought to myself, how many people will actually get that or they'll be looking at me like <laughs> slobber running down their face? Oh, poor pastor. He just didn't get it. But I'm glad you got it. So everybody's awake this morning. Praise the Lord. That means the temperature must just be right for the Holy Spirit to move in and do his work. Amen. And, uh, and over the lifetime, I found I can trust everything a politician tells me either. And we know that on the news. We see it all the time and we're hearing it. And I can't always trust everything a salesman tells me. Amen. But oddly enough, over the years, I've learned to even question things that experts tell me. Theologians, PhDs, and even some scientists. It's not that I believe these people are necessarily lying to me, but I've noticed that even these people can have biases they don't realize that they even have. Or they may have built their thinking around false information that they believed that they could trust. But if that's true, then all I can trust is the experts. If you can't trust the experts, who can you trust? Who should we listen to? Well, Hebrews tells us that we can trust in Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. I'm going to be reading out of Hebrews chapter 1. At this moment, I want to just highlight this morning, at this point in time in the message, verse 2. And now in these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. And now in these final days, He has spoken to us through His Son. He has spoken to us through His Son. And the Gospels were told of the time that Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain where he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white, as the scripture says, as snow or as white as light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah. Talking with Jesus, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said this. Listen closely. This is Matthew chapter 17, verses 2 through 8. And I know we're in Hebrews, but I'll quote it for you. It says, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And if you are a Matthew and you decided to flip over there real quick, it's very simple. It says, listen to him. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. And here's what he said. He said, get up. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, 
They saw no one except Jesus. But hold on a minute. Now we're starting to see a little bit of the Trinity, huh? Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one we should look to. He's the one we should listen to because He is the truth of God. John chapter 1 verse 17 says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We know the scripture in John 14 verse 6 when Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. So if I want truth in my life, I've got to start with who? With with Jesus. We can't have real truth in our lives if we don't have Jesus. But what truth can Jesus give us that is superior to anything the world can give? Well, I thought about that. And I discovered it in the next text today. Truths that the world can't give to us and often they just don't understand. And the first truth is this. Jesus shows us who God really is. Jesus shows us who God really is. Let's go back to our text in Hebrew chapter 1. And let's read together. I will read and you can follow along. I will be reading out of the New Living Translation this morning. Not the King James, but I like the correlation here. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son, God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, He created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. When He had cleansed us from our sins, He sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels. Just as the name of God gave Him, or the name God gave Him, is greater than their names. Now watch. As it says that such is greater than angels. For God never said to any angels what he said to Jesus. You are my son. Today I have become your father. God also said I will be his father and he will be my son. And when he brought his supreme son into the world. God said let all of the God's angels worship him. Regarding the angels, he says, he sends his angels like the winds, his servants like flames of fire. But to the sun, he says, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. He also says to the sun, in the beginning, Lord. You laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will fold them up like a cloak and discard them like old clothing. But you are always the same. You will live forever. And God never said to any of the angels, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Therefore, angels are only servants. Spirit sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. Going back to verse 3, it says here, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. 
Now, I can go into a deep theological message, and I'm not going to try to do that this morning. I'm going to try to make it applicable for all of us to be able to understand what the book of Hebrews has to say. And as we've been going through this series of Be Still and Know That I'm God, understanding that we have to be careful who we're listening to and what we're listening to and what influences that we have. But in verse 3, in essence, when you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. Because what Jesus is, God. Let's try that again. In essence, when you've seen Jesus, you've seen God because Jesus is awesome. So look to the person next to the right, left, up, down, anywhere you want. Look at him. Say, Jesus is God. All right, we've learned that principle. In fact, that is the core of who we are. You can't accept the fact that Jesus is God. You can't be a Christian, right? That's what Jesus said when he declared, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes into the Father except through, amen, through Jesus Christ, the Son. Now, the rest of the world doesn't agree with that, that Jesus is the only God. They look at all the other world religions and say, you can't be serious. You can't say possibly say there are any other gods. I mean, really? Come on, seriously? How arrogant and self-righteous can you be? They often view us with contempt and mock the very idea of Jesus being the only God. I love that when we started our Nepali fellowship there in North Hill. It was so cool because, you know, I wasn't familiar with Hinduism. I wasn't familiar with, uh, you know, idol worship. But something that Pastor Dahl D.B. taught me and, and Pern and, and the rest of, of our New Hope team. I always loved this. When they would greet you, they would, they would always say what? Jamesy. They would say Jamesy. You'll learn, Joey. We got, you're right with me, Bo. They would bow and they would say this, Jamesy. And that means greetings in the one true living God. So we were in Strongsville Mall yesterday, and, and uh, I looked over. And you, with the way times are, isn't it sad? You're afraid to even talk to anybody anymore. And I saw these two, two young men. They were, they were teenagers. I would say he's probably 19, and, and his brother was probably 13, maybe 14. And as I was there, I noticed, you know, I, I was looking at them and thinking, they've got to be Nepali. So I looked at him, and as I, as I was standing there, I said, so where are you from? And the one eyebrow raised, he goes, from Cleveland. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Just was asking a question. I don't know. I just don't, I don't know. Did I feel like an idiot at that moment? I go, no, really. I said, are you from Nepal? He stood right up. He goes, yes, my mom and dad are from Nepal. I was raised there. And I said, I, I love this. Jamie He looked at me and went, Oh. I knew then we had a situation. <laughs> he wasn't saved. He didn't even know who Jesus was. And it was so funny because he was like, oh. <laughs> and just gave me a look because he was like, uh, I don't know that I believe that. And, and it's so cool for me because when I, when I greet a lot of them, I'm like, Jamesy. They're like, Jamesy, Jamesy. You guys know they'll bow at you like ten times. I love my Nepali family. And, and here's, here's reality. He doesn't know who Jesus is. And when I would preach, and, and I've been to some of their, their meetings, one of the sweetest things that I love, that's so endearing to me, they'll say to me, 
Oh, I worship the one, one living Jesus. We love Jesus. That's right. We love who Jesus is. Why is it we've lost a sense of who he is? I love this. Back in the 1800s, there was a poem that was put out. And it was a famous poem called The Blind Men and the Elephant. It was by John Godfrey Sachs. And for decades, skeptics have used that poem to attack the idea that there's only one way to view God. Now, I want you to watch this on the screen. So I put a graphic on a screen that depicted the six blind men around the elephant touching the various parts of the elephant as described in the poem. You can go ahead and put that up there. Oh, it is there. Okay. And so now, now watch. As you can see, one blind man is near the ear. And he said it flaps like a fan. And deciding that the elephant that he's never seen must be like a fan. Another blind man is at the tusk, feeling the long and sharp tusks, and obviously says, oh, it's a spear. I'm not going to read the poem this morning, but it starts out like this. It was six, month, six men of Indostan, to learning much inclined, who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind. As all six blind men touched the elephant, they sensed the parts they touch like a fan or like a spear or a rope or a snake. For example, one of the lines say the fourth reached out and felt about the knee. Tis clear enough the elephant is very like a tree. And it continues to go on and on like that. And then after all the blind men make their conclusion, here's what the author has to say. And so these men of Indostan disputed loud and long, each in his own opinion exceeding stiff and strong. Though each was partly in the right, all were in the wrong. So often theological wars, conflicts over the nature of God, many people rail on an utter ignorance of what each other means and prattle on about an elephant that none of, none of them has ever seen. Isn't that amazing? Now watch. Here's the moral of this poem. Everybody who tells you that they know what God is like is partly right. But they are comp completely wrong because no one has ever seen God. We've experienced God, but we've never seen him. How our limited knowledge leads us to believe it to be the whole truth. Isn't that amazing? Who are you listening to? What influences do you have? But there's one serious flaw in this poem. And the flaw is this. All the blind men in the poem were wrong. And all of them came to the wrong conclusions. But no matter what conclusions they may have come to, it was still an elephant. At the end of the day, it was still an elephant. The fact that they were wrong in what they concluded didn't change the fact that it was still an elephant. If they could just see the elephant, then they would know what it was like. And listen, church, just if you could see God, then you'd know what he is like. Well, Jesus said, 
Listen closely. In John chapter 1, verse 14, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. It says, God became flesh and dwelt among us. If you want to see what God is like, look at Jesus. Because everything that Jesus did in the Gospels were the works of God. Everything Jesus said were the words of God. Every act of mercy and kindness and love that Jesus showed. That was God in the flesh showing us how much God cares for us. So when you look at Jesus and you listen to Jesus and you've seen and heard God, then you know it's. All the other world religions will tell you what they think God is like. But in Jesus, God became flesh so we could actually see what God was like. So that's the first truth Jesus revealed. He showed us what God was like. I looked at that young Nepali boy. And I couldn't help myself, so I said to him, Do you know any Christians in Akron, Ohio? He said, Yes, I do. So I went through some names the Rise, the Biswas, the Magars. He said, yes, I do. So he named a couple names. and Because they are kind of different. I don't remember words like Perna or Makita or all those kinds of names. I looked at him and said, no, I don't know them, but I know Jesus. And you know they're all Christians. And he said, and they all love Jesus. Isn't it amazing? Are we exemplifying Jesus Christ in our life? Do people see it? Is it evidence? Do we as a church know who Jesus is? Do we really believe that he's the son of God? That what the scripture says, says whoever has seen me has seen my father. And he says God became flesh and dwelt among us. He's with us. He's for us. He's fighting for us. That's our God. Now the second truth was this. Jesus showed us what we are like. And here we go. Jesus showed us what we are like. I saw a meme on the internet recently that said, everyone makes mistakes in life, but that doesn't mean they have to pay for them the rest of their life. Sometimes good people make bad choices. It doesn't mean they are bad. It means they are human. Now watch this, and I understand that meme. And I understand what the meme was trying to say. But when I read that, a red flag went up all over the place because essentially... Here's what he was saying, and listen. There are good people, and there are bad people. Bad people do bad things because that's what they're good at, being bad. But good people do good things because that's what they're good at, being good. Now, occasionally, good people do bad stuff, but that doesn't mean they're bad people. It just means they made a mistake. In the scriptures, in Romans chapter 3, it says this, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means you've sinned. That means I've sinned. Every Sunday school teacher, every elder, every deacon, every pastor, every assistant, every associate, every groundskeeper, every human being has sinned. Because the scripture says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short from God's glory. But it says in verse 3, 
We're told after making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He came to purify our sins, to purify all of us and all of our sins. That's why when Jesus came to earth, he spends all his time with a particular kind of people. So who did Jesus spend time with? Well, Pastor, here's what I got for you. Who did Jesus spend time with? Very, very good. He spends time with those that sin. Those that are bad. Those that have committed crimes. Those that are prostitutes. Those that hang out at a bar. You know, it's so funny. Growing up in church, I, I mean, you'd always see this. This defining line. <clears throat> I have arrived. Just call me super Christian. Because <laughs> I'm holy. Ooh. That's scary. Because as soon as I've noticed that, and the legalism that I've found in some churches, hey, I was a part of it. And the legalism that I've seen in churches, guess what happens right after Super Christian decides to rip open his shirt and fly around. All of a sudden, he's deflated and he crashes. Because then God reminds him about his son who went to a cross and died for his sins. Because there's none righteous, no, not one. We're all sinners saved by God's grace. We're, we, everything's so skewed in our life, and so we, we miss it. Jesus hung out with tax collectors. He hung out with so many people. Why did he do that? Because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. What a great thought. He sought them out. Man, I can't wait. In a meeting this past week, Donnie and Chris looked at me and said, Pastor, we've got to get this new hope for recovery started. I said, okay. I ripped up. Well, I didn't rip out my pen, but I grabbed my pen, right? And I said, okay, let's look at a date, February 6th. All right, let me call some people. So I started calling some people, didn't I? I said, can you make a deal? And we went down through the line. I said, let's do this right now. We've got to seek and to save the lost. That's what new hope's about, a new hope for a new generation. It's not about we're different. No, we're here to spread the light and love of Christ. We're here to exhibit the Beatitudes and the fruits of the Spirit. And that's who we are. That's what recovery is about. We've got to get back to it. For years we, did, we, we were part of Celebrate Recovery. And yes, we realized it's hard to be a part of a program that we're doing it. They're doing it up by beers. They're doing it up here at this corner at Six Corners. And what I mean by that is in North Hill, it seemed like in every corner of every crevice, there was another CR. I said, hold on a minute. We're not in competition. We're here to provide the gospel. So I said to them, I said, what night is perfect to seek and save the lost? Donnie Chris said, well, Thursday, there's nothing going on. I go, Thursday it is. We've got to identify with the needs and be a light and, and a witness to those that are lost. Ephesians 2, 3 says, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It says, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short. Of God's glory. And each of us knows that, that that's the truth. Because every one of us has felt the need for their sins to be removed, cleansed, and purified. 
How many of you could say, yes, I've been off by myself and all of a sudden I start getting in my head? We've all been there, right? But watch what the Holy Spirit starts to do when we start thinking. All of a sudden we start realizing what we've done, what we've been ashamed of, some of the things that we have said, maybe even thought, and it's like a wave of shame sweeps over us. I've been there. Someone once said, which was Warren Wiersbe, he said, many people are controlled by past sins, past regrets, and past failures. I have some great news. Are you ready? Are you ready? Here's the good news of the gospel. When you come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you accept Him, here's what happens. You might have heard this before. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. When you get baptized, watch. You're baptized in the likeness of His death, raised in the likeness of His resurrection, Woo! To run in the newness of life. Right? That's what it's about. But here's what we do. We always go back to the shame and to the hurt and to the pain of our past. Stop living in it. Stop giving ground to Satan and start walking in victory. Because we live a victorious life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What great thought. Isn't it exciting? You no longer who you were. You get to walk in Him. For He is Jesus, the Son of God. I once saw a meme that said, The world drinks to forget. The Christian drinks to remember. And every quarter in our church, when we take communion, it's it's the center of our worship. We do it because we need to remember that Jesus died for us to purify us from our sins. His body was broken and His blood was shed to forgive us of our sins, and to let us forget of the past. But the world doesn't have that advantage. When those in the world struggle with their past, with their sins, their regrets, and their failures, they suffer from guilt and shame and self-hatred that never seems to go away. They can't remove the past, so they seek to cover it up by drinking into oblivion. They'll turn to alcohol. They'll turn to drugs or sex of some kind of entertainment. Anything to avoid being alone with the badness and the guilt and the shame that they feel inside. Someone once wrote a poem that says, I wish that there were some wonderful place called the land of beginning again. Where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all our poor selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never put on again. They, they wished for a place called the land of the beginning again. But see, church, we don't have to wish for that. Because we live here. We live there. And when Jesus died on the cross, He made it so we could live in the land of the beginning again. And that's the beauty of the truth that Jesus told us about ourselves. 
in voluntarily dying for our sins, Jesus showed us that he felt we were worth dying for. He revealed in that action that you and I were so valuable to God, that God loved you so much, that he gave you his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. So as I close, Jesus came to die. Jesus came to be buried. Rise from the grave to remove all of our sins, all of our shame, all of our guilt. And to offer us the land of the new beginning again. That's what baptism is all about. Romans chapter 4. I'm sorry, Romans 6, verses 4 through 5. It says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So church, our final thought for the day. Are you still lying in the grave? It says we were buried in the likeness of his death. Some have asked me the question, Pastor, when you baptize, it seems like it's it's like adversity and struggles for so many Christians. And I said, well, you know why? Because Satan now is after them to make our God a liar. But the devil is a liar, and a liar he shall be. But what I love about baptism, you no longer have to be buried in death. You no longer have to raise or, or live like that. You can be raised out of the grave. Oh, what a glorious day. I had to write a song that calls glorious day. Oh, there's already one. He rose from the grave. Even Jesus, when the spirit of the dove descended upon him, he walked in freshness and the newness of life. What's holding you back? What's keeping you down? Church, say this with me. I'm a champion. I walk and newness of life through Jesus Christ. When we become Christians, we've decided to die to our sins. And what do we do with the dead things? We bury them. We don't put a little dirt on them or pour a shovel full of dirt on them. We bury them completely. And so, in baptism, people are lowered into a watery grave. But we don't keep them underwater, do we? Because they'd arrest me if I ever did that. It would be rough. The person that has died for their sins and been buried with Christ in the water rises up again to newness of life. That's our promise from God. So I'd like to do something. I'd like 
all those that have dealt with an addiction. There's been something you've done. Can you just rise to your feet and say your your victory comes through Jesus Christ? If you've gone through some type of an addiction or hurt or habit, praise the Lord. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I'm just going to take a moment, God bless you, to walk around this sanctuary and bless each one of you. God bless you. And to let each and every one of you know how precious you are to God and others. God bless you. 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 Did I get you all up here? God bless you. And God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for teaching me the greatest lesson of life. You're a new beginning. Thank you. Let's just praise Him. Hallelujah. Let's all rise to our feet and let's pray. Let's seek the face of God. For God is real and He's faithful and He's good to us. Let's pray. Father God, we just love You and we thank You that, Lord, we can stand here in the power of Your love and realize that it was love that changed our life. Oh God, I've lost loved ones that have stuck a needle in their arm that have have given up life, never realized that this was the last time they would seek the old man. And, oh God, I pray that even in this room right now, if if there are loved ones that we have and that we can stand in the gap, that on their behalf we can say, God, deliver them in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of Almighty God. So, God, right now in the stillness of this room as we've been going through Be still. Help us to be surrendered. To open up our arms and our our hearts and our hands and our mind to hear Your voice. Oh God, I thank You for those that have, have decided to seek Your face, not Your hands, not what they can get, but God, to see the love that comes from the throne room of God. So in Jesus' name, God, we come to this altar this morning. And Lord, you know my heart. This is not even how I thought the message would go today. But God, as we pause, I ask those in this room, if they know somebody, they would just slip up their hand. They know somebody that's dealing with an addiction or a hurt or a hang-up, if they would just around the room so I could pray for them. Amen, 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 amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you. You may put them down. So, God, you know their hearts. It, they were reminded right then, Lord, of the, of the trials that they've gone through, that their loved ones have gone through. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, those that raise their hand, can you just look at me real quick? Can you do me a favor? 
We're not going to say we're praying for somebody. I'm going to ask you to do something different today. If you did, can you just come and fill up this altar? Let's just bring your loved ones to Christ. And let's pray for them. If you'll come right now, and we'll pray, and then I'll let you pray. Let's just lift them up in the name of Jesus. We've got to pray for them. Our, we have, it's our responsibility and obligation. Lift them up. Find a, find a spot. Bow, bow a knee. Kneel if you need to stand. That's fine too. Let me pray with you. And then we'll go right into the power of your love. Oh God, we come before you. And as a church body, Lord, we ask that we won't hear the influences of this world, but we'll hear from the power and the spirit of Almighty God. Your Son, Jesus Christ. So let your Holy Spirit right now, as we bring our petition to so many, to your throne room, into the kingdom, God, you hear these requests of loved ones that are struggling. God, they need you. We know the song says every hour we need you, but Lord, they need you this very split second. So God, in in the name of Jesus, I pray for a movement of the Holy Spirit. Bring somebody to the bedside, to the couch, to a chair, to an abandoned street, wherever they're at, that we can hear, that that your loved ones, your children can hear your voice. Let them know that you're a God of second chances. So God, you hear the petitions and the prayers. And we listen. Father, we listen to hear what you have to say to us. And when we stand from this place, we will do exactly what you've told us to do. Let us sing together the power.